Tanya, thank you so much for joining She Leads today. I am so excited and honored to have you as a guest. So thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me, Carly. I'm excited to chat with you today too. Of course. So Tanya, you are the founder of Up Academy. And what this is, it's the first school in the whole world where kids who are able-bodied are learning together in the same classroom and environment as kids with physical disabilities. So first, I'm just excited to hear about Up Academy. But beyond this school, you are also an active member of the Yellow Hats League with, um, within Transcend Education, where a diverse world-class network of individuals, organizations come together to inform, design, and build these amazing learning environments for kids. And even prior to the innovation sector that you, or the innovation um, in education, you were heavily involved in nonprofits and more so, and you're a social entrepreneur. So Tanya, I'm just so excited to learn from you. Um, so before we even get started to Up Academy, I want to know your kind of your career path and your journey beyond before reaching the education sector. So what did you do leading up to UP? Sure. So I've, I've had a really varied and diverse and kind of a strange path to get to where I am. Um, I, you know, started, finished college with a degree in public health and dance um, and moved from there up to Colorado where I taught snowboarding for a few years in Vail, yeah. um, which was great fun. And then realized that I felt like I needed to get a real job. Um, <laughs> And so I moved, I, I got a position with Coors Brewing Company. And so I spent 10 years with the beer company um, selling beer. They moved me around to different areas of the country to different, you know, as I got promoted, as I got new responsibilities, as I was able to learn new things um, through that company. But that whole time, I felt like there was something else that I should be doing. I was, I was meant for something different. I was missing something. There was something more that I could contribute, uh, but I wasn't sure what that was. So I had a variety of different ideas. Um, my first company that I started working on was called Gear for Girls, and it was all outdoor equipment that was women-specific, because yeah. as a female, I'm sure you've been through this, where you go, you know, you want to buy a new bike, and you go to one shop, and they have only two women-specific bikes, <laughs> and you go to the next shop, and they have one, and you go to the next shop, and they have three, and so and it seems to be that way with most sporting equipment, so I wanted to make one space. Mm. Um, where women could get all of their stuff. That never happened, never came to fruition. Um, as I was finishing my, my MBA, I started to launch a consulting company that was for marketing. Um, I'd spent you know, really 10 years in sales and marketing with Coors, and so I was looking to launch an independent marketing company. Um, I got my personal training certification, I got a yoga teaching certification, and was really kind of looking to do my own thing and branch out, and then my daughter was born. And, um, she was born with some disabilities. And so our, my world kind of stopped yeah. and had to take a step back and just work with her and spend time with her and figure out her needs, which led into my journey, learning about child development mm -hmm. and brain plasticity and the basics of neuroscience and how children learn. And through those first five years with her and through the birth of my other two children, I have three kids, um, really led me into the education arena. So as we started to get started with school with her, and we had been working with organizations all over the world to try and help her reach her potential and, and reach all of her possibilities. Um, and we got to the school district and they pretty much said, no, no, we don't need to do that. It's not educationally, it's not educationally necessary for her to reach her potential. She only needs to be 
in school. Um, and I felt like there should be a better way. Yeah, it's it's such an amazing, amazing story. Because So this obviously leads to the founding of Up Academy. And I'm wondering, though, during that time when you had your daughter, um, did you have other mothers who you're talking to who also had kids with, with these physical disabilities who you could relate to and also were struggling to find education for their kids, daughter or son? Yeah, great question. Absolutely. Um, you know, the more parents I talked to, we were all facing similar struggles. Like the, and especially once we got into school, it's a pretty small network of families who are going to the same therapists in the same yeah. areas and seeing the same people. Yeah. Um, and so there are a few schools around that specialize in students with disabilities. And of course, the public schools do everything that they can that's within their, their nature and their realm of what they can possibly support. Um, and the reality is it's not, they're not designed to help all students become independent and successful. They're mm -hmm. designed to mass educate all of the typical students the best way that they can, which works for most students, but not for everyone. Um, and so I was hearing the same thing from other parents that they were facing the same walls, coming up with the same difficulties, finding that either their child, like my child who couldn't walk, she couldn't talk, she couldn't express her knowledge well, you know, and so do they put her in a special day class, which is the special education class where they're not going to get access to a full curriculum, mm. but they should get the therapeutics that they need? Or do you put them in an inclusion class where they're going to be with their peers, they're going to get some curriculum, but they're going to be pulled out all the time for the different therapies that they need. And it's just not a consistent learning, mm. um, learning experience. And so in talking with other parents, I heard they were coming up against the same struggles and the same walls. Um, and especially other parents with more than one child um, was a real struggle because they wanted to be able to have their kids learning together, mm. but they weren't. Yeah. And oftentimes, even in the public school system, you know, there might be special education in each school, but they might be specialized for a different challenge that a student has. So where your neighborhood school might be where your typical kids go your child with special needs might go to an elementary school across town. Right. Um, so they're still facing several drop-offs and pickups, even though they're in the public school system. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there were several challenges. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And because it was never really thought of that they could be learning together. It was always just like they have to do their own special, special needs education while these kids who are able-bodied can learn this way. And it's just, it's too disruptive almost to join them together, it seems. That's a, that's a common thing that I've heard is yeah, yeah it's going to be too disruptive right. and my girlfriend who's now on our board of directors said the same thing coming in as a parent of a typical child she saw my child and went no that's going to be too disruptive I can't believe she's going to be in the same classroom yeah. um but it's it's been evolving from a school district and a society and a public school it's definitely an evolution yeah you know, when I was a kid special education was a dark room in the back of the school the door was always closed. You didn't go there. You didn't knock. You didn't go in. There were separate lunch hours, separate PE hours. Everything was separate. Yeah. And it's definitely changed where, as a society, I think the majority of us believe that inclusion is the best way to educate all of our students. But we're really torn on what inclusion looks like and how that gets done. And how it gets done in every individual case is different and in every individual school is different. And so our school is really pushing, pushing to the next level yeah. um, where we're assuming competency in all of our students. Yeah. We're essentially eliminating special education 
and just providing support for the student in the way that they needed at the times that they needed. Yeah. So, so how many years, how many years of this did you have where you were learning about neuroplasticity and talking to these parents and realizing that there's something needs to happen where you're like, okay, I'm going to start my own school. Um, you know, it probably started when my daughter was three. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was two or three years of kind of noodling on the idea and figuring, mm-hmm. looking at what was available and what wasn't and, and how to do things and looking at, you know, different special education, private schools and different inclusive private schools and what was available around the area. Um, cause we're fortunate in the Bay area that we, there are a lot of choices and yeah. there are a lot of different schools for a lot of different challenges or specialties or whatever you're looking for really. Um, and so we looked through a lot of these things and still just didn't find what we were looking for where it was a real collaborative, interactive problem solving curriculum where students really were working together and working together consistently throughout the day. So there weren't all of the pullouts. She wasn't losing time. So what happens is even if you're in the full inclusion education, you have a student who it takes them longer to write a sentence. It takes them longer to do math problems. It just takes them longer to access the curriculum Mm -hmm. and they're given less time because they're being pulled out of science to go to physical therapy and they're being pulled out of English language arts to go to speech therapy. And it it just doesn't line up or make sense. And so developing an educational method where those therapists came, come in at the times in the school day to support the student in the classroom so learning could still be consistent seemed doable. (laughs) Um, So to go back to answering your question, yeah, it was a couple of years of noodling on the idea. And then we finally uh, filed the paperwork in 2015 and became a nonprofit in December of 2015 with the goal of opening in the fall of 2016. Wow. That's amazing. And so tell me about the founding of Up Academy. Were there did you have doubts? Were there people telling you, no, it's not possible? Or do, was there just always positivity around it? And um, yeah, just tell me in general. So there's both. Um, and I think, I, I think the role of being an entrepreneur is a synonym with being an optimist. Um, yeah. So you just kind of decide that this is what you're going to do and you go do it. And people tell you it's, it might not work or give you all of the objections um, and all of the reasons why it won't work or why kids won't come or why you won't find a space or all of these things. And you just keep pushing forward. So, I mean, you've taken entrepreneurship classes, you know, you have that roadmap to becoming an entrepreneur and you file your paperwork and you find the space and you hire employees and you market and you advertise and you go through this whole list of things. Yeah. And I think a lot of what I did from the beginning was just started looking at okay, yeah, we're going to do this. What's the first thing we need? Mm. We need a board of directors. We can't file letters of incorporation without a board of directors. Okay, let's form a board Um, because we formed a nonprofit. So we form a board of directors and then we file our letters of incorporation and apply for 501c3 status. And we got that like, okay, we're a school. Now what do we do? And you look at that next step and just by walking through that next step, next step, next step, I mean, in all honesty, I'm not sure... I was always optimistic that it would happen and I always knew that it could, but it wasn't until we were actually standing inside the school building and I looked at another one of our board members and I, we had been open for about a month or so and I was trying, like, holy shit, we actually opened a school. Like, 
we did this. Like we went through all the steps. So it was the logical thing that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, but it's still a little hard to believe until you're actually standing inside the building and going, wow, like this is open and students are here and teachers are teaching and this is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Tanya, I don't think you even realize how inspiring your story is purely, purely <laughs> because there are so many parents out there who have these kids with physical disabilities and they feel okay, this is just the life that he or she will live. And like, this is just what we have to deal with almost. Whereas you took it onto your hands and said, this isn't supposed to be like, it doesn't have to be like this. And you, and I think it's a really great lesson that you've incorporated in your answer in the sense that any entrepreneur, when they want to start something, it's just about taking those first steps. And like, once you get that step, then okay, what's the next step? And I think that's really important because that's, that's like how to get started, just taking that first step. So I think it's just amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think as parents, we all do the best that we can yeah. for our kids and provide them every opportunity that we possibly can. Um, yeah. I just thought there were more opportunities out there, I guess. It was something that seemed like it was within my realm. I finished my master's in entrepreneurship. I had been looking for something to do and to start. And this, you know, my children really gave me the purpose. Yeah. And and so it was, you know, the thing that I could do that I felt like was the best thing that I could do for my kids. Yeah. So tell me about Up Academy today. How How is it going? How is it leading a school? Because I haven't talked to someone who's the head of school and just founding a school. So tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah, um, it's been a roller coaster. I mean, any startup, I think, has their roller coaster for sure. Um but it's definitely been up and down. We opened with two students, then both students left, then a new student came in, then we got a second student, um, then we got a third student, um, and then we grew and we stayed pretty steady at three students, and then one left before the end of the year, and we ended up finishing with two, and so our first year was very tumultuous in that aspect. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we moved locations during our first year. Because of that, my founding educator left because she didn't want to do the commute, um, it was a crazy startup year. Yeah. Um, our second year has been much more smooth. We've had stable educators. We're in a stable location. Our school building is open and is fantastic. It was a newly renovated office building. Um, it's a great little space. And so it's been, there's still the ups and downs for sure. But instead of being up and down, it's <laughs> little yeah. rolling hills. Yeah. Um, I think one of the lessons I learned early on as a leader was how, especially in a small environment and in a small startup, yeah. just how much my mindset and emotions affected those around me. You know, when we had that space where we had students and then students decided not to stay, you know, I was down, I was sad, it was a struggle. I was like, how are we going to possibly build this school? Um, because conventional methods would say you build an interest list and you start a small practice and then you grow until you can get a space. I've, you know, from teaching snowboarding, one of my life lessons has been go big or go home. Mm. So I went with the, if you build it, they will come model. And so I built it like, how do we get them to come? And I was down and I was feeling sad and I was struggling. And I noticed when I walked in that suddenly my educators, even if they were, you know, pretty upbeat and getting some work done, suddenly their mood was somber mm -hmm. as well. I'm like, okay, I, 
I need to be the leader and I need to step up and I need to continually show the optimism that this is going to happen and going to work because my mood is affecting everyone around me. Um, and it's, yeah, it was something really important to notice and, um, to really be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's also such a great lesson for any company at all, just as a leader, how you are really translates to your employees or whoever it is. So I'm interested during those times where it's a roller coaster, during those little lumps, how did you, what did you do for yourself to ensure, okay, I may be upset right now, but I can't show that and I have to be optimistic. Did you have people by your side helping you or how, how did you deal with that to ensure that you're good mentally? Yeah. Um, well, I'm fortunate that I have a really strong family support system. So my husband is always the cheerleader and yeah. is very much like, okay, this happened, but you can overcome it and just go do X, Y, Z and it'll be great. Um, and there's always, you know, being supportive and helping with ideas. And so that has helped a ton. Yeah. Um, and also with the board of directors, they're always there to lean on and to help and to support. I think any founder or any entrepreneur has a network of, of a board or advisors right. or a support network to be able to go to and say, look, this didn't happen as planned. Um, what do we do now? Yeah. And how do we present this to our employees? And I think that's part of it too, is just being really transparent in mm. that. Yes. Okay. This happened and it wasn't planned and it's causing us some trouble, but here is our plan to solve it. Yeah. Um, so always being solutions minded and forward thinking. Mm. Um, and a lot of, you know, one of the graduate standards that we teach our students is growth mindset. Mm. And so something failed, it didn't work. It's not working. How do we change it? How do we tweak it? How do we make it better? Yeah. It's not that it failed. It's that this particular thing didn't work. So what's next? Um, and so I think always looking for that next solution and that next thing to try keeps everybody pretty upbeat and optimistic yeah. and given something to work on, right? There's, there's a goal and there's a thing that we're doing. We're not just wallowing in what happened. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. No, I think that's very important. Yeah. And so obviously your daughters, they, they almost led you to the education sector, but I'm wondering your passion for education and just innovating in education. I want to know a little bit more what, what keeps you so passionate about education now and what do you think is the next the next big loophole that you have to address within education? Yeah, so, I mean, definitely my kids spurred the interest into yeah. education. And my oldest daughter, when she did start school, started at a public, uh, pretty progressive, project-based learning parent participation program. Yeah. Um, and so we went through parent education, and we were required to be in the classroom two days a week. And I remember coming home from one of my classroom sessions and being like, I had so much fun with the kids. Like, I understand why teachers become teachers. Mm. Like, this is really great fun. I could see doing this. Yeah. And my husband was like, okay, yeah, that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's working with the kids and it's looking to the future and it's seeing how different the future will be for them mm. than it was for me. Mm. And how do we give them the skills to get there? Because education hasn't fundamentally changed in over 100 years, but our world has changed drastically and dramatically. Mm. And in a lot of ways, our kids are falling behind. You know, we have generations coming out of high school and coming out of college that don't know 
how to work. They don't know how to collaborate. They don't know how to innovate. They don't know how to be creative. They've been fed information for 12 years and now nobody's telling them what to do or how to get an A. And they're not sure what to do with that. Um, And so if we can fundamentally change the way education is done so that we have students who are coming out who are innovative, who are creative, who are solutions minded, it'll be better for all of us. (laughs) You know, and in our case, you know, our grander goal is to also have students who see everyone as capable and as able to participate um, and able to share valuable knowledge into the creativity and innovation process of of how we build, of how we create, of how we make technology, of how we build our buildings, of all of these things to include all sorts of different people, Yeah, uh, which will only make our world better. Uh, yeah, I think, I think you touched on it so well about the education sector and how it hasn't been changed in decades. And I think it's so true. I think especially kids are almost put in these buckets when they're little saying you're the math and science type, you're the creative type. And those in the math and science type aren't the creative type. And then it's almost like ingrained where you just have this self-fulfilling prophecy as you get older being like, Oh no, I'm not creative. I was told I'm not creative. So I'm not creative. And it's just, I think there's so many, so many flaws and um, ways to, that will really make the whole world a better place when people come out of it thinking, no, it's not, I'm not, I don't have to be in that box. So I think it's definitely important. So, Tanya, I'm wondering, what is the best piece of advice that you've, that you've received, either in your career or just living a, living a healthy, great life? Ooh, the best piece of advice. Great question. I think really just to always, you know, it's going to sound cheesy, but follow your heart and do what you want to do. Um, you know, I was told not to be a dance major because dancers don't make any money and it's a really hard way to make a living. And I moved to New York and I studied there and I auditioned and it was terrible and I hated it. And, but everybody wasn't right. Like I loved my major. I loved college. I had a blast. And that background in movement has really supported me as I've moved into working in education and specifically education with kids with physical disabilities. Um, And into later, you know, teaching snowboarding and teaching yoga and having that base was super helpful because it was something that was a part of me and what I love to do. Um, And so I think regardless of how silly those things seem to other people, always following your heart and being true to what what you love and what you want to do and what feels right, um, especially in decision making and especially in starting a business or choosing a job like that that piece of intuition, following that intuition is what's going to lead to most of your success. Yeah. I think, I think that's so important and definitely useful for me as now I'm kind of going on to my next career <laughs> path. So I think, I think it's definitely true. And especially one thing that I can take away from your story as well is you didn't, you were told no about being a dance major. And then here you are using those skills that you, you probably never thought you would at all. You'd be using, um, in what you're doing today. And so you never really know that each experience will teach you some lesson. Um, so I love that. So as the final two questions, I'm wondering what is a passion or hobby that you have that's just unrelated to your work? A passion or hobby that I have that's completely unrelated to work. Um, probably dance. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, nice. and yeah, you mentioned dance and being and, active. Yeah. 
Um, and I've just gone back. I hadn't taken a dance class in 25 years and I just started taking a weekend class in the past couple of months, wow. which has been great fun. Yeah. What types um, of dance are you, do you love doing? Uh, jazz and modern and lyrical was always my background. Nice. Right now I'm taking a hip hop class, which is <laughs> unique and different. <laughs> yeah. Um, but a so lot of fun. fun. Yeah. My sisters actually both, I've told her sisters, they dance their whole life and they loved, they did all types of dance, but they love tap. So, so it definitely relates. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've gone to all their shows my whole childhood. So I know, I know what it's like being a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> so as a final question, what is a weird or fun talent that you have that no one else really knows about? So I'm not sure if you saw in other episodes, but I'll show you mine. So I throw grapes or blueberries into my mouth. So I'm going to give you a sneak peek. So here's a grape. Okay, we'll see how this goes. There we go. <laughs> Success. Well done. Thank you. So... Do you have a talent that I that you can share? I don't know if it's a talent, but my family calls me the finder of all lost things. Oh. Like, no matter what it is that is lost in the house or who has lost it, I have probably like seen it and somehow cataloged it in my brain and come up with where it is. That's amazing. You almost just like you see it once and it's just ingrained and you're like, oh, yeah, it's over there. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't happen with things that I read or things that I learn or people's names or faces. Yeah. But for some reason, like things in the house, my daughter was looking for the cardboard box cutter because she's been making pinatas has been one of her projects yeah. during the stay at home time. Yeah. And my husband dug all through the garage and was looking for it. And she's like, Mom, do you know where these are? I'm like, oh, yeah, they're here on the shelf. Here you go. She's like, how did you do that? <laughs> That's and finder of all things. Yeah. Super mom. <laughs> I love that. Well, Tanya... I just want to say thank you so much. I love your story and I'm so happy I can share with others. So really, I appreciate you coming on She Leads and just telling us what it's like to be a leader in education and just founding your own school and so much more. So thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Carly. And best of luck to you in whichever direction you choose to go. 